Hey friends, welcome to episode 9 of Semi-Pro in TO. I'm Dara. I'm Chelsea. This week, we're <laughs> going to talk about Ultimate, as mm. per usual. Um, and Chelsea is also going to tell us about what she is currently reading. Yeah. But first, what did we do this weekend? Um, we went to a tournament in Ottawa. Keyword being went. I was going to say played, but I did not play. Chelsea did not play. Chelsea, why didn't you play? Um, I did not play because two reasons. Well, I have an an injury. I have a back injury. Um, uh, Slipped rib. Yeah. Slipped rib. Slipped rib. Um, and then a muscle strain. So I'm not playing for that reason, or it wasn't anyway. And then also, I was just a little bit sick. I don't know, maybe a flu, maybe something. And it kind of went around to the team. We had a, a downed player as well. Krista got a bit sick also. So Krista was the most sick. Yeah, she was really but sick. But she still came. Yeah, and she was just, like, lying on the sideline for a lot of it, which sucked. Mm. Um, and then she tried to play a few points, and I think she was just like, it's no good. She tried to play a few points, scored. Yeah, she point. did. She did. She scored She scored a point. She had some good moments. Yep. Um, she's still rock solid even when she's dying, so that's mm-hmm. great. Um, yeah, we generally, uh, I don't know, we had like some not as healthy players this weekend, but overall, you know. It was a weekend. mix. As, yeah. as fun as I wanted... No borders, no bow to be. Um, just like weather-wise, Saturday we were dying of yeah. heat exhaustion. Like we've played in a couple of hot tournaments this year, and that one hit me way harder than the other ones. Really? And I don't know if it was just like the post Japan, post regionals, post everything catching up with me fatigue. Um, and then on Sunday it was cold and rainy, and we were not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. We were soaked. Everyone was soaking wet. Yeah. Um, and we have some, you know, very, like, low body percentage fat girls on our team we that do. were dying, dying of yeah. cold. Yeah. And they, I mean, one of the girls was telling me that she, too, is, um, um, has low blood pressure. Like, low blood circulation. Yeah. yeah. So, she, her hands were, like, white. It was mm-hmm. awful. Jeep. Yeah. So, we had to... Um, we had to forfeit our last game just because the team was... For health. Yeah, the team was getting sick, and we had so many sick people already. Like, I was also recovering. Like, I didn't really want to stand on the sideline for another game, so... Um, yeah, I'm yeah. also going to go on the record and put my bet out there that I think Chelsea has that meat allergy. <laughs> I don't! There's no way. Just As reported meat. a while ago from Radio Lab in their Alpha Gal uh, oh. episode... I don't know. I feel like you got bit by a tick, and then you got sensitive to meats. Really? Yeah. But I've been sick without eating meat. Allergies are mysterious. <laughs> You're mysterious. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, it was an interesting weekend. It was like it was weird because usually you go to a frisbee tournament, and the main thing I think about when we leave the frisbee tournament or come home is like, how was the ultimate? And in this situation, the ultimate was like third to two other things. One of them being how epic Erica's parents were. And <gasps> shout this, out to Erica's family. Yeah, they're amazing people. Um, they housed us for the weekend. They sheltered us. They fed us. We got to use their pool, their hot tub. Um, we used all of the beds available. Um, all of the washers and dryers. All of the washers and dryers they did our laundry uh they cooked all the food for us like we literally came home on saturday from a boiling hot day we were exhausted after four games they were i wasn't um and then we came home and the food was already ready cooked 
ready to go. I just, I walked in the kitchen after my shower. I walked in the kitchen and made a burger. It was already ready to go. A beautiful spread of barbecue grillables and watermelon. Yes, so much watermelon. And everything. It was perfect. And we were so exhausted and heat addled from the day. Like, I did this, and a few other girls did this too, where we just walked into the middle of the kitchen and stood there and looked at the food and then the pool and then her parents. And I was just like, overwhelmed with choice and I turned to Erica's dad and I was like what do I do (laughs) do I swim do I what do (laughs) swim eat swim eat I chose eat and then I swim Tim recommended that I cool down first so he's like you should go in the pool first and I was like correct yeah smart I didn't play but I probably if I'd played I would have chosen pool yeah um and then we definitely crushed their hot tub with like 12 people or something it was crazy uh that hot tub was full of limbs. It was full of limbs. It was a real family <laughs> affair. And then we had a layout contest into the pool, which was lovely. Bex did a full-on belly flop. It was great. Uh, she was committed. She was so committed. But that's how she is on the field, too. Very committed. She's very committed to her layouts. We do love her for that. And for many other reasons. Uh, yeah, but no, so the, the main takeaways from the weekend were, like, how great Erica's house and parents were and the whole just, that, like, that part in general – and then the second portion was, like, the the health and wellness of the team. And then the third takeaway was the ultimate. Like, I haven't really yeah. even thought about the quality of play. I've kind of just been thinking about everything else. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, to try to be <laughs> something about this, like, what's like what's the moral of the story here? Yeah, yeah. Is that, you know, ultimate is not just about the sport, right? It's also about your mind, your, like, physical wellness, your mental wellness, um, your family, you know, there's a whole package in there. Yeah, a lot <laughs> that of things comes with playing the sport. Yep, and I mean overall, if we do cycle or circle back to the the play, we had a good weekend. We had some great ups and downs. Um, we had a lot of our roster not playing, um, which gave a lot more opportunity to other members, maybe of the team, to step into bigger roles. And everyone kind of tried to do that, and we had some really epic plays from some people, so that was great. Uh, I don't know. Overall, I would say not our best play tournament, like not the best on-field experience, but one of the best like off-field family fun experiences. So it was super, yeah. super good and, bonding. You know, back to back out of town. Yeah. Tournaments with yeah. regionals. Well, I just mean too, like if the weather wasn't great Sunday. So there's just like, all, like, I don't know, all in, not my favorite like playing tournament, let's say, right. but definitely my favorite team bonding experience. One of my favorite team bonding experiences. Yeah. So sure. great uh, weekend. Good weekend. Um, thanks to the No Borders crew uh, for hosting another great tournament. Yeah. What was the acronym everyone was using? It was like UPI. So UPI are the fields. Yeah. UPI is what the fields are called. Ultimate Parks Inc. or something like that. Or Ultimate, I think so. Um, and then Nobo is just what we call it. Nobo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good. That's good. Yeah. The scheduling was beautiful. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> the scheduling was amazing and lovely and I great. I mean, it was, a, it was a fair schedule. Yeah, we had a good schedule. We had a great, one of the most beautiful Saturday schedules of Oh, life. yeah. Buy game game, buy game game. And you could not really, ask for a better schedule. And then a really normal Sunday schedule. Yeah. We started early because we had start, lost early. Or we'd game. lost everything on Saturday, so we started early, normal. And then, and then game uh, it was game, 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 which yeah. is great. Yeah. So we had a... I mean, we had a perfect schedule, not so true of our regionals tournament, but mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. win some, you lose some. Uh, yeah.
for our next segment. <laughs> Chelsea, what are you currently reading? Um, well, what am I currently reading or what did I just finish reading? I guess what you just finished reading. Okay. Uh, why, why are we talking about books, Dara? Should we intro this at all? Yeah, this is um, the segment about Chelsea's superpower, which is reading a million books. A million is 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 a mild, mild exaggeration. Mild. mild. We're we are not hyperbolic in this never family at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I read a lot of books, uh, and I have many book goals, and I'm not meeting them this year yet. But working on it. So currently, I'm reading or read. Um, I read uh, two Kristen Hanna books over the pat like over last week. I read first The Nightingale, um, and then I read The Great Alone, and both were recommended by my coworker. She really liked them also. And they're lovely books. Um, I think they're just sort of classified as, like, I don't know, general fiction. Um, Are they recent, old? The Nightingale is from 2015, I believe, and then The Great Alone is from 2017 or 18. It's it's newer. Oh. Um, both were great. I would say that... Uh, I read The Nightingale first, and I really enjoyed it. It's actually becoming a movie soon, so you may have already kind of heard about it. Um, and it's great. The whole time I was reading it, I was like, yeah, this should definitely be a movie. It reads just what's the, like a movie. What's the premise? Uh, so the premise is it's set in World War II. It's um, set through the pre, pre-war, during war, and then um, not really post-war so much as it's like a woman telling the story looking back right um so there is a bit of it's from like 1996 i think is the most current timeline in the story and you don't know who that person is until maybe midway through the novel and there are two sisters and it can be one or the other and you just you don't know who it is which is great yeah so you're kind of just like oh which one is it and you know likely that one of them dies so you're kind of like which which one is it um and also sorry for the record 100% 100% I'm going to be spoiling. So if you're listening yeah. to this and you want to read this book and you don't want spoilers, don't listen. From 2015, you, you had enough time. Yeah, it's old. So, uh, yeah, so anyway, it's great. Uh, the story sort of follows the two sisters as they go through their, I don't know, lives during World War II. Um, they're both French. They live in France during French, the like the German occupation of France. Um, and I've read many novels that are from like the English perspective or even from the German perspective or the American perspective, but I've oh, not yeah. actually read a novel that was like, what was it like to live in occupied France? Mm-hmm. And according to this novel, it was a lot worse than I had thought. Like I didn't really realize the level of infiltration that the Germans had made into France taking over their government, taking over, like, pretty much everything. Um, and, that, like, what life would have been like in this small town, Caravaux is where they live. And, um, uh, yeah, the thing, things I found most interesting about the novel were uh, the Germans who moved into these small towns um, would reside in the homes. They just, like, I need somewhere to live. You can stay here, but I will live here. If you want yeah. to leave, feel free. And they just, like, took over. They're um, like, we live here now. Yeah, basically, we live in your here home. Now, in your home. And I'll take whatever room I want. And so they would, like, often kick people out of their homes or kick them out of the rooms. Uh, but even more, like, what must be a stranger feeling to that is, like, if they don't kick, like, as terrible as it would be to be kicked out of your own home to, like, I wonder what would be worse, to be kicked out of your own home or then to live with your captor? Yeah, so the character in the novel kind of does both. Um, So for the first, 
I would say three quarters of the novel, she is living with the person who moves into her home. But this one relationship is portrayed m- more positively. He's a nice guy. Like he's a, he's a nice German. She gets a nice one. And, um, you know, he brings things home for her and he'll like bring food. And there are tons of food shortages, obviously. Uh, and most people aren't eating. So she's like doing okay. But then there's a scene where there are multiple scenes where she sees the other side of him. So there's one scene where she goes to his um, office and sees that he has food stockpiled on the wall in his office, like tons of food. Um, And so then she's like, okay, so he's nice to me. Like he's the lesser of two evils, but it's like a, it's a jolt reminder that he's still the enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's definitely like a really rigid line of like who is good, who is bad. Um, And then the sister, who is the other main character, she is, it's really the story is, I don't know, it's kind of about both, but I think the story is more so about her. And she becomes the nightingale. So she's like young, she's 18, she really wants to contribute, but obviously can't go to war. She's not a nurse. So she's like, what can I do? So she joins like a resistance movement and tries to help um, fallen RAF soldiers out of and American soldiers and Canadian soldiers out of France um, when their planes go down she helps them out through the Pyrenees Mountains over into Spain and uh, it's like a I don't know, like the whole story is sort of like her journey through doing that and like Mm -hmm. becoming this character of the Nightingale and the Germans wanting to kill her obviously Um, and yeah, it's really epic feeling like that's how I would describe the novel, it's very epic it's like, you know all these things are happening and it gets very exciting and it's like, what's going to happen next? And then something happens next. And then what's next? So that's mm-hmm. why it feels like it, it reads like a movie. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It's going to make a great movie. I think <laughs> um, if you yeah. go see it, sorry if I, and I think it. that's, I wonder how they'll portray that relationship in the movie mm. and if they'll do it justice, because I think what I also find so interesting about you talking about this is how current that also feels where you describe a man and a, relationship between a man and a woman where you know it's complex and it's during a complicated time um where this person it's not very black and white I'm assuming that you know this woman probably develops feelings for this person um and you know you're portraying someone who wants to think well of this person and this person does new night does do nice things, but surprise, surprise, humans are complex and they're also capable of doing great things. They're also capable of doing terrible, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and like right now in this day and age, it's really hard for us. There's no room, like when we were listening to that podcast, to have like complex conversations in the media or in the news anymore where we actually get to speak to, you know, um, you know, sort of in this like Me Too time and movement, how there are, you know, we just keep finding about all these men who have been doing good things for so long, but all of a sudden do one bad thing and we can't reconcile those two things. But mm-hmm. it's but it's surprising because people are good and people are bad. Mm. And it's just, that is life. It's gray. Definitely. And I think that um, while I was reading the novel, I... Like, you get definitely get that sense that she's like, well, I don't want to like him. Like, I really don't. I don't want to go there. But then at the same time, like, he's not a bad human being and he's doing nice things for her. So you, like, you sense her her hesitance but also her, like, acceptance that he isn't 100% bad. But then her sister is very much like, no. So she feels like, you know, when, she, when he brings her things or if he brings food especially, she has to feed Sophie. So she's like, she'll have moments where she says, 
I, you know, I don't want to do this. My sister would judge me, but at the same time, my daughter's more important. So I'll take the food. And, and all through the book, I was like, don't feel bad. Like do what's best for your family. But I get that where that would come from. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very heightened situation of which, you know, having to forsake your morals for like taking the lesser of two evils, Mm -hmm. being able to feed your daughter. Yeah. Whereas this morals are life kind of morals are life, which is like, yeah. So so, sort of still drawing the parallels with that, right? Like we are luckily not so in that current situation in like our current lives where, you know, when we find out about these perpetrators of, you know, violence against women or gender-based violence, like, to then have that information, but then still try to defend that person or to like sort of be, you know, in the middle or like sitting on the fence about it or be wishy-washy. It's like, like, what do we have to lose to then like, like, it's not life or morals for us at this point. No. It's just, there is right. And there is wrong in this situation. Once you have this information about, you know, a perpetrator where you're just like, then there is only one choice here. Well, like, how do you reconcile the question of when you, when you know someone could be a good person but is doing bad things? And so, so for a lot of people who look back on the Holocaust, for example, as you know, drawing to this book, the people who maybe would have otherwise been good people, like this man, kept saying, "I want to get home to my family. All I want to do is get home to my wife and two kids. You know, I you know have a life back in Germany that I want to be living that is different from this, and I don't like what I'm doing, but I'm doing it because my boss, basically, you know, Hitler or whoever told me to. Um, and so that like reconciling that you could be a good person, but that you've done really bad things. And then, so that like that it's, it's why I can see how sometimes again, drawing that parallel to now is like why it's, there are times when people will almost lean on that, like, but they're a good person. Like, yeah, they did a bad thing, but they're a good person. Or why did they do that bad thing? Somebody told them to, maybe they're just following orders, but they could be a good person. So it's, it's like, yeah, I think the this is wrong. The prisoner's dilemma, like whatever that syndrome is. Yeah. Um, the name for that. I think that is sort of like a different kettle of fish because whatever social like thing that is happening in that brainwashing situation, this is we need to figure out what this science is. I don't know what this science is. Yeah, I don't know. That psychology part. I think that's a little bit different than knowing that this person independently did a bad thing. Yeah. And it is complex because maybe they did great things and maybe you have, you know, a good relationship with them. But just because they treat you nicely and then they treat someone else terribly, like terribly, terribly, we're talking like very terribly here. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, of in their own free will, sense, yeah. quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. Um, like I'm talking about like, nowadays <laughs> like today well yeah in this day and age it's and so like the like thought that just came to me that the parallel is you know when we have a politician for example and you have a politician who maybe like sides with you on things that you care about so for example if you're um uh, a supporter of of doug ford and you think he's doing great things for the economy or you think he's going to do great things for xyz and those are things you care about like for someone like me i can't reconcile those things with um, his inability to recognize the rights of trans people. Like that to me, like there are, there are limits to like yeah. what I will accept from a person. And that for me is like, exactly. a limit. And so, so when someone says, okay, but he supports me or like he supports what I want, it's right. like, is that enough? Is that enough? And then to me in some cases, no, it's not. And so, yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm saying that I'm right there with you where 
if that is past your limit and then your reaction to that is to bury your head in the sand, then we can't be friends. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, agreed. And so another thing that I thought a lot about while I was reading the book um, was it really made you, I mean, most books about the Holocaust will do this. It really made you hate the Germans at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I kept thinking to myself, like, what is it like to live with that kind of legacy as a person of German heritage? Um, and I'm, I'm not German, and I don't know really that many Germans, or any, actually, and I can't ask this question to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I know one German doesn't speak for all German people, but it is an interesting thought to me, just like, when you know you're, f- like, that legacy of the Holocaust is known German. It's just like a German thing. And, and obviously, I don't think that today's people are you know, Nazis, that's not what I'm saying, but it's just that living with that legacy of like knowing that your country did something like that. And Mm -hmm. even though it was, we all try to pin it on Hitler, but like, like we were saying, good men, like this soldier in her home, were following orders and following out these tasks of doing these things like killing Jews or whatever. And I mean, they may not have like wanted to, but they were doing it. So Mm -hmm. how do you live with that legacy as a German person? And then Similarly, as a maybe a white Southerner whose parents own or great grandparents own slaves, like how do you live with those kinds of legacies? Yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I can't speak for German people, but I, I have heard that they are very upfront about it. They are very good at educating every new generation about mm. that history. And I know it's illegal to deny the Holocaust in Germany, I know right? That. Yeah, um, and I think they are doing a good job moving forward with Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. um the parallels that i would draw there are basically speaking to every colonial country existing today yeah right like in canada we have a whole grade like in bc in grade 10 you learn just about canadian history um and they try to educate us about you know what we've done and what we've perpetrated against you know um first nations people um you know a lot of minorities that immigrated to Canada in the early days, like what spoke to me was of course, you know, Chinese immigrants coming to Canada and working on like the CP rail. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, we interned Japanese people during the war, like we've exactly. done. Yeah. So I, and so I, I too, like on a personal level do often wonder, like, you know, I don't have any direct ancestry I could think to as like someone who did those things, but I know as a culture, the way that we treated native people when we came here was abhorrent up until like literally 20 years ago maybe 10 years ago so yeah. um so yeah well, and I, I feel cur- that often. currently currently like yeah problems like all of the current issues on reservations right now yep. and yeah, yeah not, no and I do I do I guess I can draw that parallel my own self because I do feel that often and I it's why actually I was to most people's surprise, a supporter of Kathleen Wynne because I thought she did great things for the Native community. She was working hard to, you know, better some of the reservation life and bring better water and resources. So, like, I... And I ha- um, I know that there's a lot of, like, food scarcity up in northern communities, especially in Nunavut, and those things, like, I feel directly all the time, like, so frustrated about them. So I I guess I can I can see that. But it's, it's also, like, a thought that you... that I just had about something you said was that um, their Germany does did a lot to try to move beyond that legacy. And so even while I read this book and I say like, how do you live with that? I also have to say to myself, you just do, you just, you just move on. You just have to, like, you can't, you can't. 
Yeah, and I would I would be surprised if every culture and country doesn't have something like that in their past, right? Like Yeah, and I mean we always talk about the Holocaust as like the genocide, but there have been many other ones. The Armenian one, like there there was um um Rwanda, like there are many genocides we could speak about and we often don't. It's just like we we really focused on the Holocaust because the impact was felt so largely in our Mm-hmm. in our um, side of the world, uh, which is part of why we talk about it so much. But um, there are many others that we could talk to or speak to. And same thing. Like, how do we... We can't just look back on it forever, I guess, as like a... Yeah, I think it's important to keep it um, in our story, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so agreed. everyone knows it. You teach it to everyone. Yeah. Why we teach history so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Exactly. And also still take responsibility for the repercussions moving forward. Um, I remember like in, I think like my first year university class, we were having, I think this was in my English class and I do not remember what we were talking about, but somehow we got on the topic of like, um, like what's the word? Not, is it redress? Like for, for first nations people, like, like, Basically, this girl was, like, she put up her hand. She was, like, yeah, I don't actually understand why we, like, have to be responsible for, like, helping these Like, people. reparations? Reparations, yes. Oh, okay, Reparations. Yeah. And, like, oh. I think everyone in the class was just, like... <laughs> yeah, like, that's not something you say. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was just, like, oh, no, someone, like, we have, like, the system has not done well by you if this is, like... In a first-year university class, like, you're still asking that question. I was in teacher's college in Thunder Bay, and people are still asking that question. And in Thunder Bay, where they have a very fraught relationship with their Native communities, um, because the crime in the Native community is very high, in Thunder Bay, people take take that personally, and Mm -hmm. it creates, like, a whole animosity. Um, And so coming in as a person who... We don't have a large Native population in, in um, like, the areas I grew up in in Toronto, so I uh, didn't really have, a, like, a personal connection in that way. And then I came in and was like, yeah, I totally understand this. 100% we should be supporting Native people. And then Thunder Bay people were like, but look at what our community is like. Look at what it's like. And it was that, like, str- that struggle. And I was just – I struggled to not – to, to deal with that too, just and, – and those those feelings went right into, yeah, Teachers College, where they're going to be teaching Native kids. So mm-hmm. it's – yeah, the lack of information coming out about the communities is real. Like, the the struggle yeah. to teach our youth right now about this is real. So, yeah, I still think there's work to be done. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so that was the book I read. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely recommend. twist it into many different conversations. Yeah, and I, I would recommend it, and why I think it's great to talk about books in general is because these are the kind of conversations that we have after talking about a book. You didn't even read it, and you're kind of, like, getting into these ideas, and that's why I read, because to me it, like, opens up so many um, thoughts that I may ne- not have otherwise had and opportunities for conversation. So please read it. It's a great book. Um, please read in general because reading is lovely. And uh, yeah, that's my that's my recent book. Uh, and then I'm, now I'm going back to King Rat because we're going uh, to have our you're, book. You're trying to read your really, King Rat. I'm really trying. I'm really trying. Um, Another it, lived experience post-war, like a... Uh, a fictional mm-hmm. novel about someone's, but the author did have a real life mm-hmm. prisoner of war experience in mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. which is what they based the book on. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, the th- emphasis of the book is not on that. It is very much in the background. Um, it's very much on this sort of fiction that he weaves about the interactions in that ca- in that camp. 
at the time. Um, but why I do like that book is because it's, it just like, I think it just speaks so much to the PTSD that this person has endured because the sometimes just like the bare and very short way that they describe the horrors in the camp are just so matter of fact that I find it so gut wrenching that it's just like, this is the only way to talk about it. It's just, it was. Yeah, which is interesting because I agree. I think that's a great part of the novel and a great um, aspect of like the literary, like how how literature has like literary functions that that serve mm-hmm. purposes. And that's a great one in that novel. But it is also an unfortunate one because it, to me, le- um, gives way to this like pace that is tough for me. Sure. So like it's yeah. so it's 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 like it's good. I see the the benefits in, as like a literary tool. I understand it completely and it, and it serves its purpose. But then as I'm reading, I it's like because of the pacing and because of the matter of factness, like I want it to be more dramatic almost. I like mm. want him to create drama, but he won't. And that's mm-hmm. part of why I'm like, oh, this is so hard to get through because it doesn't it doesn't yeah, it doesn't pace well for mm-hmm. me. So, mm-hmm. but in any case, I appreciate the not all literally Funny enough about books, <laughs> literature is not always fun to read. Like, fiction and drama and horror and crime and all that kind of stuff is there and it's fun to read. And it's really just serving a purpose of telling a story. Literature is serving so many other purposes. Um, and I sort of am differentiating between literature and just fiction in general. Um, you know, and so literature doesn't always read the way you want it to, like a movie or like a thing happens and another thing and another thing and a fight and a this and a that and a love scene. Like it's never going to do that, Mm -hmm. but it's tip. What it will do is make you think and give you, um, other viewpoints and other, there are other amazing things that literature will do. It's just never, not necessarily always going to be the most interesting of reads in my opinion. (laughs) So I'm going to put a pin out there and next week you can teach us about what literature is. Oh boy. (laughs) I guess I could do that. And we're going to lose, like, half our listeners, but... <laughs> <laughs> if this is boring, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> no, I mean, I like books, but not everybody likes books. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, Dara, I'll see you on the fields. Chelsea, I'll see you on the field.